Welcome to the Pivoting Out of Education podcast, where hosts Drs. Jamie Hoffman and Tom Studdard will share their stories of folks who have left campus-based positions in education and K-12 to leverage their skills in other contexts. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average person holds 12 jobs between the ages of 18 and 50. Educators, like Jamie and Tom, often enter their careers thinking they will stay in education forever, perhaps because they're trained to think that way, or perhaps it is hard to see other pathways. Both of your hosts pivoted out of campus-based positions and are loving it. Now they want to give back and support others trying to do the same. Thanks for listening in and enjoy today's episode of the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. I'm Tom Studdert. And I'm Jamie Hoffman. And we are going to start our podcast series off with our hostful episodes, where we have an opportunity to interview each other and for you as our listeners to hear our stories and the way in which we pivoted out of education. We're going to start with Jamie Hoffman, my co-host. Jamie, are you Yay! ready? I am ready. I am ready. Good. Well, Jamie, you know, as, as we shared on our last episode, you and I have known each other for over 20 years and didn't think in a million years that we would do a podcast together. And yet here we are. And I'm really excited to have the listeners hear how you made the transition and your pivot out of EDU really into higher education adjacent, which I think is a, a really good way for folks who are thinking about leaving to have sort of that one foot in and one foot out particularly as they're, they're maybe interested in, in taking that leap of faith. Yeah, I would say it, it was moving adjacent to higher ed. I mean, it was naturally the path that I took, but it definitely also feels good because I don't feel like I parted ways as completely with, you know, what I originally had envisioned for myself to do. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, for those of us who have left education as a whole, to know that folks like you are still, you know, in an education adjacent with that one foot in, one foot out, makes us feel like there's that opportunity to, to have that connection still. And if we do leave higher education and, and potentially want to come back, that maybe there's a way to do that. Uh, and maybe yeah. there's a different way to pivot out with the lens of, or that future lens of wanting to pivot back in. You know, like 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 all of our stories, we're going to start off with share us a little, share with us a little bit about your background in education. Yeah, so I I got my master's in higher and post secondary education. I had moved or gone to Arizona State University to get a master's in music education. I don't know if you remember that, but I had intended to be a music teacher because I had had. Um, music teachers, quite frankly, that made a huge difference in my life, both by supporting my growth and development, but also giving me opportunities and pushing me to grow and develop in various leadership positions. So I wanted to give back to youth in that way. So I had originally envisioned myself to be a middle school music teacher. And if you hear the jest in my voice, it's because especially now that I have kids, I have no idea how I thought I would have been able to handle a classroom full of children playing mostly out of tune all day long. But pretty much, you know, at, at, I went when I was at Arizona State, I was also a graduate hall director, as we shared in the first episode. 
And I just found myself really drawn to that experience. And it was Luis Garcia, who is one of our guests in a future episode, who said to me, why do you want to do the whole music thing? Like, why, why not this instead? And I'm like, wait, you can do this as a thing? And I know that many, many of folks who went into student affairs had that moment. And and that was my moment. And it was, it came at a good time because I was also taking 20th century music theory and really confused and behind. And, you know, the people I was in class with were like going into their cars, listening to Beethoven and Mozart for fun. And like, I was listening to NSYNC and, you know, New Kids on the Block, of which Tom and I have been to many of a concerts of, um, in sync and don't forget the Spice Girls. So I kind of felt like, I don't know if I fit in this in this uh, space. So anyway, yeah, I, I went into higher ed and from there spent a good 15 years of my career in various campus-based student affairs roles, overseeing a lot of different types of programs, notably because I spent 10 years at a startup university where everybody did a little bit of something. So I oversaw orientation, student leadership programs, career services, campus rec and assessment at some point. So then I had a career pivot because I had my eldest daughter. And it's funny because I was reading Lean In, the book, prior, right when I was pregnant, I was like eight months pregnant. And I I actually applied for a promotion at that time. And I had specifically said, I am not going to be one of those women, in quotes, that changes when I have kids. (laughs) Then, I mean, I still don't think I changed as a person, but the way in which I viewed my time changed. And I couldn't really get like aligned with this whole, I've had this kid and I'm going to drop her off somewhere at, you know, 7 a.m. and I'll see her at maybe 7 p.m., which by the way, or maybe six if you get home early, but I would have had to drive home from traffic. And by the way, like anyone who has young kids knows that like early evening is like not kids' best time of day. So like, by the way, you get to spend the kids' worst time of the day with them. So I don't know, it just didn't all add up. And I, I tried to make it work in student affairs by requesting some alterations to my schedule because I was working with clubs and orgs at the time. And could I do like 12 to 8 p.m.? Because that's when the students are meeting at night and alternative schedules were just not really in the culture of higher ed. And I don't know that they they still are, but we'll see what happens post-COVID. So I pivoted at that time to a, first of all, an ed tech role supporting, I was on a campus at the same time, but I was supporting faculty in teaching online because while I had been working in student affairs, I had been teaching for about nine, 10 years and including online. So I did that for a little bit of time. And then a position came open at USC to be a full-time faculty member. And so I taught there folks getting their master's and doctoral degrees in um, ed leadership, as well as in student affairs administration. So that was kind of a first pivot that was mainly derived from my daughter being born. And then my second pivot came to leaving to come into this adjacent role. And one of the things that occurred 
in being a faculty member that I didn't expect was that this was a position I had put on a pedestal for like, you know, 20 years. I'd always said like, gosh, wouldn't it be amazing to be a full-time faculty member in a student affairs program? And the fact that it was USC even more sort of facilitated imposter syndrome for me because I was a first-generation college student. So Needless to say, I was in the role and there were components of it that I did really love, of course, actually teaching the students, but I didn't really think a lot about how faculty spend their days. And spoiler alert, you spend a large majority of your days grading papers, especially for master's or doctoral students. You don't actually spend a lot of time with students and sometimes not even with people. I was on a variety of committees, but that still probably didn't take up all of that amount of time. And so I kind of had this realization that you have to really think about how you derive your energy after a day of work. And it it wasn't in the way I was spending a large majority of my time as a faculty member. So this really unique opportunity came where a woman, Melora Sunt, who we're actually going to also have as as a guest this season, she said to me, she was a faculty lead at USC teaching uh, the leadership course for the doctoral program. And she sort of got us together in each week, everyone teaching the course so that we can collaborate and the like. And she said, hey, I'm going to be leaving and I'm going to be doing this, this thing over at Noodle Partners. What do you think? And I at first said, I don't really want to work remotely. I think I want to be back on a college campus. And so I looked at a lot of different positions at college campuses and none of them jumped out at me as being something that I would love. So that's my background. So I want to dig into something a little bit that you said there that really, really struck out um, or stuck out, sorry, was the fact that you had multiple roles at a startup university. Do you, you know, I've never really heard a university really referred to that way before, but it it makes a lot of sense. It was a, you know, a younger campus in terms of being a relatively new one in the California system. Talk to our listeners about, did that help you feel ready to make a pivot into a startup company because you had sort of done that a little bit before? Or was it just as, just as challenging to sort of think about making that pivot, even though you had had some experience, whether you defined it that way or not? Yeah, absolutely. It did help me because what I loved, and I stayed at there, it was Cal State Channel Islands for nine years. And I, I did because I felt like I was constantly challenged. I felt like there was always something new to create because like, hey, we probably should have this for students. We should have probably had it like five years ago, but we had to focus on a different core need at the time. So there are a lot of similarities to working at a startup university to working at a startup company. And and actually when I joined Noodle, I think I was like the 17th employee and now we have probably almost 300. And so there, that did prepare me well. The pace of change, the need to be innovative and creative and something that um, has stood out to me about startups in general, and I think this applies to the startup university, is that 
I was listening to a podcast one day and someone was talking about a book that talked about startups. And if I had a good memory, I'd tell you what the name of the book was, but I don't, I just remember this. There was a metaphor that was given that compared startups sort of time periods. And you have to think about the time that is the best fit for you to join a startup. And they said, some people fit well when it's like a jungle. And what I mean by that or what that person meant is there is no road charted. You have a machete and you are you are determining which way this is all going to go and you're just cutting it down and and all of the things associated with like, like it's dirty, it's a lot of work, etc. Like you have to really be able to dig in and you have to be very 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 comfortable with ambiguity. So then the, so the jungle, that's one. So that's very early on. The next is when there's a dirt road where there's, you know, some sort of path forged and created already, but it's malleable. So you have influence on creating some of the processes, procedures, roles, responsibilities, et cetera. And then the last is a highway where, I mean, it's well-crafted, it's Your job is to just make sure that things go as quickly and as smoothly as possible, but you're not really having to recreate all that much. I think it's safe to say that some people really fit in those three buckets. For me, prior to working at Cal State Channel Islands, I feel like I had roles that were on the highway and I hated it. I felt, I don't want to say I hated it. Actually, I liked some of those roles and pieces of them, but I did not like feeling like my creativity was stifled. Like I did not like being told, hey, by the way, we tried this already like 20 years ago. Here's the book for your job. So anyway, I, I definitely find myself energized by the, the jungle part of the metaphor that I think fits the most for me. And that metaphor has been helpful thinking about folks I want to recruit for positions in, in my company And at what point in our growth are we to make sure that we're getting the right fit for for the the time that we're in right now? Yeah, well, thank you for for sharing that. I I, I love the metaphor uh, and particularly the jungle atmosphere. I will say that the the company that I started at, we probably were a little bit past the jungle, but not quite at the highway. And I probably find myself being really comfortable in the middle. I need a little bit of definition, but I also like to chart a path as well. And so... I, I think that that whatever book that was, we're going to have to figure that out so that we can get that. I know our, I should, I'll have to Google it and figure that out. <laughs> I, I, it's a really good metaphor and it's a really good way for our listeners to think about if you're thinking about pivoting out of education, what, what speaks to you? You know, do you want to be the first in at a startup? Do you want to be more, do you want to be at a place that has got a little bit more sort of traction, a little bit more experience, or do you want to work at a large corporation that has really defined processes and, and you're sort of, you know, coming into that with a little bit more definition. So appreciate that. So Jamie, you've talked about Noodle and, and obviously I know that, that you are there and I, I know your role, but for our listeners, can you talk a little bit about what your title is and what you do there? Sure. So when I first joined, as I mentioned, I was early on and we had two campus partners. And what Noodle is as a company is that um, universities hire us to help put their academic programs online, primarily graduate programs right now that we're, we have a fair amount of certificate programs and are, are expanding to undergrad programs. But we are able to support whatever 
functional sort of work streams or areas that the university feels that they need support with. And I oversee the student affairs or student support side of the house. And so a university may say, okay, we would like help with learning design for building this program, as well as recruitment and also student support. And so I oversee the student support function. When I first started, though, I was the only one. And it was, I, it was definitely, a, you know, more of the jungle. I mean, I, I certainly am fortunate that many of my colleagues had experience at other online program management companies. And so they, they brought that lens with them. But I had the opportunity to create quite a bit, including my entire unit. I currently oversee, I have six direct report directors and under them are student success coaches who report to them about, there's about 40 of them. And then we work with a variety of partner companies that offer different services to our, our students. And I supervise the relationship there. So our biggest goal really is to help campuses create ecosystems that are really supportive and inclusive of online students, which has been a really unique experience and has been, I guess, supported by COVID because whereas campuses in the past, if we said, how, how can an online student do X, Y, Z remotely? Sometimes they hadn't thought of that yet. And now um, COVID have, has sort of forced them to think of it. So I'm kind of optimistic about what COVID will do for the, the broad experience of students. Yeah. COVID's really blown up the world, right? You know, and, and it's, turned, it's, it's turned a lot of things on its head in education, certainly being at the forefront, because I think if you follow the news at all, you know, the, the report right after, you know, the, the vaccination report is the school report, right? Like, how are schools dealing? How, are, how many schools are reopening? What are colleges doing? You know, every day in the national news media, there's, there's something related to, to whether it's K through 12 or universities and their response to COVID. And, and uh, you know, working at a place like Noodle certainly, you know, brings to the forefront of, of how do we help our students and how do we treat them differently based on the needs that they may be experiencing now. It's going to be very interesting. You know, a lot of people talk about, quote unquote, the new normal. And, and, and I don't, I don't, or getting back to normal. I think that's the phrase that a lot of people use, the getting back to normal. And I don't think that that's ever going to happen. I don't think we're ever going to get back to normal. It's yeah. going to be that new normal. It's going to be what does the world look like, and particularly what does education look like in this post-COVID timeframe? So I appreciate you sharing that with me. I, I'm going to dig in a little bit on something that you shared. And so again, this is a little off script. So if you need some time to think about it, just let me know. You have a vice president for student affairs title, and you work with directors and student success advisors. Those are titles that are very consistent with working on a college campus, right? Somebody applied for a job at Noodle today likely they will think that they know what those roles do because they are there's a matching title or title like uh, on the college campus but we know that when we when we work in techs uh, tech firms or when we when we try to maneuver to corporate outside of higher education even with the same titles it's a different process to get in the door what are you looking for on a resume or our or on an interview for someone who's applying for a role in your company who is coming from higher education? 
Yeah, and it's it's interesting that you note. Oh, I, I actually want to tell you one thing too about the COVID world. I have I co-host also a podcast called The Student Affairs Nerds, and we did a little predictions episode at the beginning of January, predicting what will stay after COVID. So if anybody's interested to hear a variety of predictions there, I just said please don't make students come to campus to fill out forms anymore. Like that's a big wish I have, but. But at any rate, we, the titles, that's noteworthy um, and purposeful. I wanted to make sure that universities did see that there was some parallel so that they could see that, oh, okay, these are the people that are going to be our, our partners in a true sense of the word of which we are. But to your point, I think maybe even the titles make people think, oh, okay, I'll just submit my, you know, student affairs resume. And we, we like to get folks that have campus-based student affairs experience because one of the most important components of the job is relationships. And really, if we can't build a great online student experience together, if there isn't a level of trust. And I don't think it's very easy to gain student affairs professionals trust if you've never worked in student affairs. So we do prioritize that in our hiring. But as our company has grown and our positions have grown and time has changed with COVID, the numbers of applications we get has also increased. And so now, you know, the last time I hired a director, we had like four or 500 applications and there were probably two thirds of them were from campus-based student affairs professionals. And they submitted their very same materials that they would have for a campus-based position. And the challenge that that has that, that presents is I'm not really seeing how they see their their skills as transferable to an ed tech company. And and also why? Because this is quite different. I mean, there are I like it a lot. I choose it. I'm almost at four years of it, but there needs to be some acknowledgement of difference and why you're seeking out that difference. And right now, to really be competitive for positions in in my company, I'm looking for folks, too, that have actually have online experience or experience working with online students. Certainly, you know, the experience with COVID is is useful, but everybody kind of has that now. So if you're really interested in working, at least, you know, for me and what I'm looking for is, you know, what else have you done to like be really knowledgeable of technology or online education? I don't know that that's a requirement that everybody's looking for as far as uh, adjacent companies or even OPMs, but that's that's been what we've been looking for as I've looked, especially for director positions. Yeah, I appreciate you allowing me to uh, quote unquote pivot from our scripts because <laughs> I do think that that's something that our listeners are going to want to hear and, 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 and need to hear that, you know, as both of us are hiring managers at our respective companies and, you know, I've hired several higher education folks, uh, faculty and non-faculty into roles and the, the market's competitive and we have to make sure that when we're applying for roles outside of higher education, that we translate our higher ed resume into that world, just as we would expect somebody who's applying from corporate to translate their resume over to exactly. higher Exactly, yeah. They want to come work yeah. at a, in a campus-based position. It's no different. And 
we have to make sure that we're talking the talk and walking the walk and the language that we use. And so I appreciate you sharing that with me because I think your experience as somebody who has a similar title as somebody on a college, but is looking for something that is a little bit different than the people that they hire is really important for our listeners. So I appreciate that. You talked a little bit about, you know, as, as you're looking at resumes and as you're looking or listening to people in interviews, being able to really talk about that transferability of skills. How did you envision and document the transferability of your skills as you were making that pivot from a campus-based position to a non-campus-based position? So I would say, I mean, my experience has been, was a little bit different because I think at first it was my supervisor seeing the skills in me. She saw, well, now she's my supervisor, but at the time she was the course lead. And, you know, I was always someone that was asking about what do we think about this? And can we change this in this course? And, and then if we made a decision to do it, I would volunteer to make that change. So I think she helped me to see what I would bring. And I, you know, I don't know that everybody's in that position, but if I were to give advice to people who are stuck trying to think about what else is out there, lean in on mentors around you and maybe ones that you wouldn't have even expected. And, uh, you know, I, I think some of it was, I was willing to be vulnerable and say, I just don't know what's really next for me. And that's when she shared the opportunity for her. And, and I, you know, I think too, one of the things that I wanted to emphasize, so of course, networking is good and building relationships with mentors, but something that I've been guilty of that has inhibited in some ways, my growth has been that opportunities would be presented to me, like, like picture like a wide open door that's like glowing. And I would sit there and be like, I don't know. I mean, should I walk through the door? Because I really was thinking I was going to be this one day, a director of housing. That was what I was originally going to do after the music teacher thing. And then it was like, well, I, I want, I was, I'm a student affairs person, like, and I, I still am, I know I get that, but it's very different when you're not working at a university with regard to your identity and what is different is, is not quite the same in your lived experience. And I think that's something that people have to do is to start separating how they see themselves and how they identify themselves. You need to separate that from a location-based concept of you know, a specific university or the context, you need to be able to think more about what is it that I offer and how do I want to spend my days? How do I derive energy and that kind of thing? So uh, my biggest advice as, and, and from how I documented it, I will mention that I have always, uh, not always, but probably about like 10 years ago, created a website as a sort of personal portfolio, a digital portfolio. And I've been purposeful about maintaining a social media presence. And so oftentimes we learn about, you know, be careful on social media. That's the education we get. Like, don't put negative things out there, but there's not that much of a narrative telling us what you can do to put positive things out there for people to be able to see other things that you bring. So I was really working hard on that also because I just like it and it's fun creating websites and stuff. But, but I've always done that. And I, and I think that has set 
Mia's side as being seen as more tech savvy. And so I think there was a natural connection in there. But I think you have to just really be open to what does come towards you as opposed to what you've scripted in your in your plan. Because yeah. plans, eh, the they don't always metaphor, stick. The glowing door metaphor is is right there, right? It's it's right on. So many times, and 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 I, you know, I was guilty of this when I worked in in student affairs too, is I sort of had that that mindset, you know, that this is what I was gonna do. I was gonna be a director of orientation, assistant dean of students, a dean of students, uh, associate vice president of student affairs. And 25 years later, I'd finally make my way up to the VP's position. And I had it charted out. And, you know, I was moving quickly through that. And the 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 bright door that was glowing off to the side was this company that I went and joined. And I remember even at the beginning when I was having conversations with the CEO, you know, it was, I don't know if this is what I want to do. And you'll hear in my story, you know, I even, you know, had a pivot out of corporate with it and then went back uh, because I, I had a hard time in it really understanding that that door was the right door to go through. And so, you know, for our listeners to, to be aware of the, of the doors and the windows that are, that are out there for you to go through, because you just never know what's going to happen and, 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 and where life is going to take you. And so I think that's a really good metaphor and I appreciate you sharing that with us. So you've pivoted away for a little while. Um, I think you said five years now. I, I'm guessing there's some things that you miss and I'm guessing there's some things that you like about being out of the campus uh, environment. Maybe talk a little bit about those. What do you miss? And on the flip side, you know, what do you, what do you like about sort of being away from that, that environment? Yeah. Well, what I miss is, and this is probably going to be a thread that we um, hear throughout this season from our, our guests, but I mean, I just miss students. I just, and this sort of feeling of walking on a college campus. It's, it's really literally not replaceable. I mean, not like I've tried 80 million different things, but there's just nothing that to me has replaced that feeling of seeing the people who I am working toward and advancing in some way. And I've been very fortunate to make very close connections with my former students, and I'm still friends with them. Two of them are getting married this year. They were in my wedding and I'm going to their wedding. And it's right. It's those sorts of connections, which, you know, I think I'm forging those connections with folks that work next to me and, and, and for me, but I just don't know. I don't think that it's actually quite the same. And you know, for folks listening, I really, I don't know that you had this, Tom, but I really had a fear of like, I, will I be able to come back, you know, to student affairs? Cause I've, I had been on campus-based positions, search committees. And if people applied from corporate settings to your earlier point, like maybe they didn't articulate well how it transferred, but I don't remember being like, oh yeah, it makes sense for this person to come here to this campus-based position. So I was really nervous about it. And I, I actually met with a different mentor of mine. Um, his name's Michael Berman. He now oversees, he's a chief technology officer for the CSU system. And I met with him and I'm like, did I make a huge mistake here? Because I miss this so much, but I am enjoying my role, which I'll talk about more. And he was just, he basically emphasized the fact that it's really what you're gaining are really valuable skills and helped me to see that. 
And then he, he asked me, what did I see next for myself, which maybe will be something I'll share sh- sh- shortly. And I was like, I don't know. I, I'm not really quite sure. And he said, well, maybe that's a good point. Like maybe the position that is next for you isn't even created yet. And that kind of gave me a real like open lens toward what, what might, what my future might be. Like why I shouldn't decide now that I want to go back to student affairs because who knows, who knows? I mean, I, I know that I like technology and the technology is advancing and, and the like. So, so I miss, I miss students But on the other hand, there, to your point, there's a lot that I feel like I have gained and really enjoy working not in a campus-based position, although adjacent to and supporting. One of the big things, I I mean, I'm going to honor this part of my identity, but as a mom, I mean, I, my job has been remote for the last four years. My company is based out of New York and I do, did post pre-COVID travel, like, a few times a year, but uh, to visit universities that we partner with. But by and large, you know, I work from home. I've been able to manage a fairly flexible schedule. I mean, very flexible since COVID. But that's that's made it really, really valuable. Like I get to see them more than I would have in a campus-based position. I mean, I'm still very busy and all of the things that you would expect um, in my position, but. I am also more present and get to honor my identity as a parent. But other things that I really like about working outside of campus-based positions, and also I know that you'll probably echo this too, Tom, but especially as a startup, change is faster. And we have the opportunity to innovate much more quickly. And it's not just innovating because we saw this great idea somewhere. I mean, we'll, we'll do proper tests and we'll look at the research and make sure to make different comparisons and the like, but we are able to move just so much more quickly. The other thing that I really enjoyed, which at the beginning I didn't really enjoy, but we are much more results driven. And what I what I mean by that is in the beginning, when I first started at Noodle, I would get asked, you know, what's your true north? What are your measurable results? And not necessarily financially measurable, which I think people might assume because it's a business, more just like, At the end of the day, how do you know that you've done a good job? And like the student affairs person, despite being assessment focused, by the way, like that was my dissertation. But at first I was like, I just want to know that I've made a difference. Like, doesn't that count? You know, Um, And it does count. Of course it counts. But we have to operationalize it and we have to be able to measure it. Why? Because universities, our customers ask us for you know, how do we, why would we pick you over others? Why do we stay with you over others? And, and so I kind of became comfortable with this idea of being able to better measure success. And there's things I'm really proud of that I've been really led the creation of like a rubric to measure the quality of an online student experience. And honestly, our universities really do push, you know, sort of the quality component, they ask a lot of questions. And that's ironically not what I experienced when I worked at universities. There wasn't as much of a, I mean, maybe when we like come up for reaccreditation, we'd like have to operationalize, but really usually the accreditors were more interested in what was happening in the curriculum, not the co-curriculum. And so I feel like we, you know, didn't have the same level of accountability in that way. And so 
I feel like as an assessment minded person, it came full circle. Like now it's a point of pride because I'm like, yes, I can tell you that the success coach's response time is X, Y, Z. And I, and I'm proud of that. And I'll tell success coaches, you know what, at the end of the day, it means that we're delivering on our promise and we're giving excellent service to students and shouldn't everybody be doing this? You know, shouldn't there be that, that for everyone? I have a few other reasons, but I'm going to pause to allow you to, to have any responses. Yeah. So I, I, I want to dig in a little bit to the results driven because, you know, you'll hear that when, when we talk about my experiences as well, I, I, I sort of find it ironic, but, you know, both of us obviously having been on campus-based positions and both of us having served on assessment committees at those, at yep. those and, and and time and time again, year and year again, we hear from, you know, the university officials, usually the student affairs vice president, we need to assess what we do, we need to assess what we do. And yet, there was never really an understanding of how to do that. Um, yeah. You know, I, I sort of laugh with the, um, the comment that you made of, I just want to know that I'm doing a good job. I just want to feel it. And that is very student affairs. But even in the world of higher ed, we should be able to figure out how, how mm-hmm. to measure that, how to quantify that. You know, I think you know this, my dissertation was a quantitative dissertation because the numbers don't lie, right? Mm-hmm. And when I moved to my position uh, that I'm in now, it was a struggle at first because I thought I knew how to do assessment. I thought I knew how to be results driven, but it, I, had to, I had to really quickly learn the other side of that very quickly. It wasn't yeah. just, you know, publishing the numbers. It was showing how those numbers contributed to the end goal of, of, of ultimate success of, of whatever it is that the business is doing. And so I appreciate that you brought that up because I think our listeners will think, oh, I'm results driven. My students are, I'm making an impact on my students. But if you can't quantify that, then it's difficult to sort of figure out how to put that on a resume, which then makes it difficult to, 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 to progress through an interview process. Yeah. And that's part of the challenge in terms of that transferability of skills. It's not just about, you know, I know how to do the thing. It's, I know how to measure the thing. I know how to report on the thing. And I know how to draw the line between the measurement of the thing and the success of the ultimate thing that we're trying to do. Agreed. And, and I, I think I would, I think it would be useful for folks to dig into Uh, metrics and measurement from a business lens, like, you know, look into LinkedIn and see what courses there might be on KPIs, key performance indicators or OKRs, objectives and key results, which are, I mean, in some ways, just different terminology, but still, I mean, terminology is a thing. And I know that we'll talk about that on a getting practical with your pivot episode but it does, it does matter. But I think that that could be a gap, that area that could be filled in for folks looking to transfer. Also wanted to just share some of the other things that I've really enjoyed. Uh, I'll try to be more brief with these, but I've definitely at first was a little unsure about working with people who weren't from higher ed. So like here we are at an ed tech company working to support universities. And I had colleagues that had never worked in student affairs or higher ed positions. And I, I was really skeptical at first, like, I mean, truthfully in a judgmental way, but dang, these people are, I mean, they learned the industry super quickly and they, their transferable skills and backgrounds have 
enabled me to learn more and us all to do better. So we have product people that are like from Google and we have, you know, enrollment and marketing people from, you know, really big marketing firms. And they all, these people come together to make a really, really amazing team and complements the higher ed knowledge that we do have. So that's been really cool. I also have enjoyed not being in the midst of the politics of campuses. I will say that one of the things when I worked in student affairs that was tough for me that I brought home at the end of the day was sometimes the politics, like decisions made that were not for the best of students just because somebody was mad about how a process went or it didn't fit with something for someone. And I don't know, there were, there's a lot of different examples I could give, but at the end of the day, I'd go home and I'd just be mad about those things. And it really brought me down. And I see some of that happening now because, of course, I still work with universities, but I don't really feel it on a day-to-day within my current organization. I wanted to follow up on the working from working with people who don't have the university background and the university experience. And two things really resonate there. One, you know, for better or for worse, we're sort of elitist at the university level, right? Or the college yes. level. Yes. Uh, you know, we require master's degrees and we require doctorates to do these roles. And, and rightfully so, we're, we're in the business of education. We want people to sort of uh, exemplify our values of being educated. But it is interesting when I first moved over, you know, I remember a conversation with my CEO who says, Tom, you don't have to always have somebody with a degree to do the role that you're hiring for. And I remember thinking, no, they have to have a degree. <laughs> they, they, have, they have to. And he's like, no, they don't. If they have 10 years of experience, that equates. And truth be told, some of the people that I've hired that never stepped foot on a college campus have been some of the strongest people that I've, that I've hired. You know, I have a manager who reports to me who didn't go to college, and yet he is phenomenal. And yet on the flip side, I have a manager who used to be a community college professor and she is phenomenal. Again, it's really about how you talk about those skills moving over and how you can work with those types of folks versus necessarily the pedigree that they bring with degree. And so I'm glad that you brought that up because I want our listeners to hear, like, be careful, right? It's, it's, it's not about really showcasing. I got my degree at the university of Southern California. It's about what I learned in the program and how that's going to relate to what I'm going to do in this job, which ultimately is what we should be doing in higher education institutions. Anyways, we should be promoting, this is what the about, this is what the degree is, what it was about, not necessarily that you've got the three letters after your name. Absolutely. But yet, you know, we do continue that in higher ed, even to the point where we, you know, have a cadre of faculty who are experts in their discipline, but they've actually, most of them not been trained to teach, which is, you know, that would be unheard of if we were to think of that in a parallel context outside of higher ed. But um, I would, I would too add that, you know, that I think of folks that I work with that are like amazing project managers, which I did I was like, I didn't know until I got to noodle that that was an entire, you know, discipline. And same thing with product managers. And I think people, you know, be open to those types of things and consider even certificates to kind of beef up your knowledge. Cause I've, I work with amazing people that that's what they have are certificates in those areas and, and an amazing amount of expertise. 
I will say ironically that I only I'm kind of in the elitist bucket, but that's partly because we have to retain credibility with our campuses. I mean, I suppose we don't have to not all OPMs do this, but I do really believe that you have to have a master's degree to support people getting a master's degree. So our success coaches have to have a master's. And I really look for folks that have that parallel experience in the director roles that I hire for. But I think that's a little bit uh, unique. And there's tons of people at our company that, that don't have that experience. The last thing I want to just mention about working adjacent to higher ed that I think folks will appreciate or not ed campus space position specifically is I... Being raised British, I know you can't tell because I don't have my accent. That's what everybody's thinking. I do have an accent when I talk to my parents. And in fact, my parents will not listen to me on a podcast because they think I'm a stranger and they make a lot of fun of me. But we were really just kind of, I was raised to be really direct and honest about things. And that didn't really always work well for me in student affairs. Even if it was like, hey, I don't know if this is, you know, the best decision for X, Y, Z for this program. I'm not, you know, talking specifically about people. I'm talking about the outcome. I had been given advice sometimes like, don't give too many ideas, Jamie, because that could make other people feel bad if they don't have that many ideas or, you know, so-and-so let me know that maybe you were a little too direct with them. And I'm like, can so-and-so talk to me? Because I'd love to continue growing and developing. And at, at any rate, honesty was not, is not really something that was encouraged. I think it was looked down upon. And so I learned, I wouldn't say relatively quickly, but because it took me a bit of time to have a filter in higher ed and be I was definitely not my always, I didn't get to bring my full self a lot of the time. I had to be very mindful of what I said and when for fear of who knows what. And I certainly still have to be, uh, I have to make choices on, you know, what hill I want to climb, et cetera. But I have found, and folks who have also, who don't work in campus-based positions have said this has been their experience too, but I have found that I can bring my whole self to work more in that I can practice radical candor. I can give caring, direct feedback. And it's encouraged because there's this idea of like, if you're in a meeting and you're wondering why you're there because you don't really have a purpose, like, let's bring that up. Let's talk about it so that we can make sure that we're making the best of our resources again, so that we're always getting the best outcomes and for us, the best student experience possible. And I have really appreciated that kind of welcomeness to constructive criticism that has made me feel like I can be my full self. So uh, I wanted to emphasize that because I know there's a lot of folks, especially from marginalized backgrounds, that feel like they have to be different in campus-based positions. And, and I'm sure that, that that is still the case in some corporate positions. But for me, I've really appreciated my experience in that way. Yeah, it, it reminds me when I first started the company that I transitioned to or I pivoted to, we had a cultural value that was actually printed in our cultural book that we would hand to new employees or I guess uh, send to new employees was no politics and no BS. And <laughs> 
first I remember thinking, of course not. You know, what place has politics or BS? And then I remember, I realized really quickly what that meant as opposed to what it meant in higher education, that I could bring my whole self. Um, uh, similarly to you, Jamie, I know you know this, like I'm pretty direct. You know, I, I, I want the best for the constituents that I'm working for, whether that was students or now my customers. And I'm gonna be pretty direct in telling you like, nope, that's not the direction we should go or yes, that is, or no, that was a screw up and let's move on. And one of the things I really appreciate about my CEO is that he says, we will spend time in a meeting dissecting your idea and telling you all the good and the bad about it. And when we leave that boardroom, we're all still friends and we're all still colleagues and we're all still going to get along. But we did that to make sure that what we're about to do makes sense for our customers. It's yeah. not about if it makes sense for you. It's not about if it, if it appeases you. It's about, is this driving results for the business? And so all the things that you just mentioned there are really connected. The radical yeah. cancer leads to innovation and that leads yep. to stronger results. So all the things that you really have enjoyed about being in a, a non-campus-based position really blend together because they build off of one another. Yeah, I agree. And I do think that, you know, we should pause and say that our positionality could affect the fact that we felt like we could have radical candor. And I I do check in with my team members to see how they're feeling. And generally, they tell me that they they feel some of the same things that I've described. But, you know, I do want to honor that that component positionality as far as our our roles in the companies, but also our the other aspects of our identities. That's true. That's a, that's a very good point. So thank you for bringing that up. Well, let's close up with just one last question, Jamie, which is actually a two-parter. So talk to me about what's next for Jamie. You know, you've done some amazing things in your career, you know, whether it was working in residence life or orientation or leadership programs or moving into this role as a VP of student affairs at, a, at an education tech company. What's next for you? And then finally, what advice do you have for people who are thinking about making this pivot? And, and what, what should they be thinking about? Sure. Well, I, I can be quick with the first one. I don't necessarily know what's next for me, which I kind of feel like is maybe disappointing. But no, I don't know what's next. Maybe it's not created to um, Michael Berman's point for me. I just know that I want to feel like I am continuously contributing and and that I can continue to grow and learn myself. I have, I don't know if I see myself going back to a campus-based position because of all of the things I described that I really enjoy, but I also sometimes really, really miss that. So I'm not sure. Um, I will continue to stay where I'm at until I feel that I'm not challenged anymore or that, you know, maybe there's uh, more that someone else can give to my role. I have, I'm reaching my four-year anniversary. So I'm always looking. I mean, that's something that I wanted to share as advice for folks is like, don't wait until you're miserable to change. Really think about and start start now thinking about what are the things that you enjoy at the end of the day? What is it that you get your energy out of? How do you want to spend your day, days? What do you want out of the culture of an organization? Like, it's important for me, I'll be honest. Um, I was recruited for a position recently. It was actually not in my current, it wasn't in education, but it was at a, a corporate position. And 
I asked about the political leanings of the company because it's important for me to work somewhere that is going to embrace diversity, equity, inclusion. And, and I needed to know that answer directly. So you need to think about those things. Do the self-reflection now. What brings you joy? What do you need in a supervisor? And do you want the dirt road, the highway, or, you know, the jungle? You know, think about all of that now so that you're not making a decision in desperation. And you can really make sure you're documenting the best experience for yourself and envisioning that. And I was fortunate to meet with a, a coach, a, an executive coach, to help me think through some of those things now. And then I just always keep my eyes open to just see what's out there. I always have. I don't know if it's a bad thing because, because it could, I guess, make people think that you're always like looking to leave, but that's not it really. I just kind of curious and um, maybe there'll be something that jumps out at me and I'll say, Ooh, that would be really fun. But who knows? As long as I feel like I'm somewhere that aligns with my why of making an impact, I'm going to stay. And so to continue on the advice for folks, I think we've already talked about highlighting your transferable skills. That's really important. I also would say, I mean, highlight your transferable skills, but don't expect that you have all of the boxes checked on a job description. Um, we're seeing in research for at job applications and hiring processes that Men will more often apply for jobs, even if they think they're not qualified, than women. And the same then goes for individuals who are white versus the BIPOC individuals. So keep that in mind. So even if you think that you might not be qualified, apply. But do go through the extra steps of really thinking through the applicability of your experience. Be open to walk through those golden doors, I would say. I mean, I've done that three times in my career where I've hemmed and hawed over a golden open door and I finally stepped through it and it was the best decision for me. So, you know, if something's being laid out for you, really, you know, I mean, think about it, but don't be so afraid of the, the, the past that you've crafted. And then I would say to network as much as you possibly can Put out there, if you can, and you feel comfortable to do so, put out there, hey, I'm looking to move into ed tech. And when I say put out there, I mean, I'll be specific. I'm seeing a lot more and engaging a lot more on LinkedIn in the networking space. I encourage that. I also just joined the Clubhouse app. I don't know if you've heard of that one, Tom, but I think that I, I have feelings about the title of it. And it feels a little elitist and the fact that I had to be invited, <laughs> but I'm in that, which allows me to get to know people. Actually, there's an ed tech uh, clubhouse conversation weekly that I'm now listening in on. And I just, they just started a ed tech Slack community that I joined as well. So look for those sorts of opportunities to connect with people and don't be afraid to reach out. I mean, people have been very, very helpful for me in, in, the things that I've been looking at. So I would encourage others to do the same thing. And if you're really not sure, if you're sitting there like, I don't know, and Tom and I will put out more resources over the this season on where to find jobs. But especially if you're looking to go into tech, any tech related positions, think about who you currently work with. Like when I oversaw clubs and orgs, we worked with OrgSync. So if at the time I was interested in 
moving to an ed tech room, I could have thought about that. I mean, sometimes these companies will sign like non-compete agreements that pro- prohibit them from hiring people at universities, but not always. And so I would think about those kinds of opportunities just to get out there and get a different position, but with people that you know and cultures you're familiar with because you know the, the folks that work there. So network, 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 and be open and you know tame your negative self-talk if you're thinking that you don't have the re- relative experience that you need. You really do. Student affairs, I think, are the hardest working folks on college campuses. And I can say that after being a full-time faculty member as well, and really encourage you to to just believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. I think that that is a great way to uh, end this conversation. Uh, Dr. Jamie Hoffman, uh, I have known you for a little over 20 years and full transparency to everybody who listens. <laughs> Jamie and I started having the conversation about doing these two episodes, hers and mine. We were We worried that we would bore each other. And I have to tell you, Jamie, I was not bored at all. I oh, learned, good. <laughs> learned new nuggets from you every time. I found your advice extremely helpful. Even for somebody like me, who's a little bit more along, for lack of a better term, in my career, uh, your advice really stands out. And I, and I hope our listeners will feel the same. So thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for being a part of this podcast. Thank you. Absolutely. So with that, again, thank you all for listening to Pivoting Out of EDU. Uh, We are excited to bring you these great information stories, as well as our stories about how to practically pivot out of education. Please stay tuned as we continue to roll out an episode each week. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to visit our website at pivotingoutofedu.com. Thank you. As always, thank you to our guests for joining us. Additionally, special thanks to our sound editor, John Alexander. We spend one third of our life at work. It should be something we believe in and have a passion for. It's okay if that passion changes. If you are thinking about pivoting out of education or know someone who is, visit our website at pivotingoutofedu.com for advice, testimonials, and blog articles. Have advice to share or would like a private consultation? Contact Jamie or Tom via the website or at pivotingoutofedu at gmail.com.